Hello, I'm Benjamin and welcome to the Carousel Tapes, episode one. On this first episode, I am proud to introduce photographer and digital journalist Alan Lodge, or as he would rather be known, Tash. Hello. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Okay, first of all, um, why Tash? Um, I've been called Tash since I could, since before I could grow one. Um, I had an initial career uh, desire to go and join the Air Force and I was accepted for commission in the RAF Um, and my friends had the idea of uh, Air Force officers wandering around saying tally ho chaps and curling their handlebar (laughs) moustache and so it stuck since I was 14 and that's a few years ago now. Okay, do you think those are the same friends that did they talk you out of going into the Air Uh, It was the same year leaving school that I first went to the the, the, my first free festival in Windsor Great Park it was called uh, the People's Free Festival at the time and a few hundred assorted hippies arrived in the Queen's back garden on the, on, on, on the estate there outside Windsor Castle and had a free festival after the initial um, observa- uh, in, in inspirations of things like Woodstock from America. Okay, I'm seeing that. So um, within that year I could have either joined the Air Force or oh. turned left and I turned left. A photographer that's interested in showing work can put it in a gallery space. You can get published in a paper if you're good enough and there's interest in, in, in your work. Yeah. But I became interested in showing work as a, as a public performance at festivals to say something about the people that were attending them. So uh, the family and, family and friends see themselves on the screen and they, 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 they like the representation that was there. And also, of course, uh, to a photographer dealing with rather contentious subjects that were subject to the law and people being nervous about cameras, it it was always an interesting dynamic that people didn't like their photo took wondering who you were and yet liked seeing the imagery uh, that resulted. And, uh, of course, I don't know any other way of doing that. So it was a way of of lowering suspicion initially as well as um, educating and informing, which is what us documentary photographers are supposed to do. (laughs) I started taking photographs initially at festivals, um, not... For um, not not for description of the people there, but largely a, a matter of public order. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, uh, earlier, I mean, I, I've told you that I was interested in joining the air force. Well, I have always been interested in public service, and shortly after uh, my experiences with Windsor Great Park um, and and living in London at the time, I joined the London Ambulance Service. Okay. And uh, I was six years a frontline accident ambulance man in West London. And as you can imagine, that was quite hectic. And I got quite a a training about that. But living in a spot in South London and going to festivals whenever I could. So you will agree that it's a bit of a strange career path. (laughs) Um, But then one of the criticisms of people attending free festivals and uh, the people that eventually became known as travellers, uh, new age travellers, the mm-hmm. press called them, yeah. but nevertheless travellers, they suck up local services. They don't pay their tax, they don't pay this, that and the other. They go to the local hospital, they drain local services and they shouldn't be allowed to yeah, do this sort of thing. And I thought that with the skills that I'd acquired from the LAS in London, that I actually had something to offer for a community that wasn't getting one. 
Um, so we started up a charity called Festival Welfare Services and another one that became the Travellers Aid Trust and uh, people were offered legal advice and uh, I offered uh, what, what mechanical medicine that could be done like to save too many people going into the local casualty which was one of the criticisms against the events that we were having. But time went on and I soon discovered that the number of people coming through the front of the tent looking for help and advice about the behaviour of, the, of the policing of this community yeah. far exceeded the number of people that needed bandaging for broken arms and legs, okay. having babies and all the rest of it like yeah. that a community does. So I started to um, uh, reinvigorate an interest in photography that I had had since school. Okay and started to point the camera at the kind of uh, stories that I was, was hearing. Mostly, most of my archive is in black and white because of the cheapness of the material and the yeah, availability. Yeah. But to try and show the public back the work, the colour slides um, when, when projected by the means that we did the other night, like you can have quite a large audience and keep, mm. the, keep the quality of the material. Yeah. But on, on, on the policing front and with, the, uh, with black and white, I'm quite proud that in these pre-digital times that I was able to take pictures of a policing operation which a superintendent of police had, recently, had just told me that didn't happen. To process the film in the back of my truck and to print it, go, wash the print in a mountain stream and then take a wet print down to the same superintendent. Wow. As evidence to uh, and to watch his bottom jaw drop, uh, to 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 realise that he'd been got, and that the power thus of evidential photography was was significant. And I like to think that that's the point at which we started to moderate some of the behaviour of uh, well, especially junior junior constables, the, the way that they behave towards this population. Mm. So, I mean, that's a development of my photography, starting out telling you that I was doing it for evidential purposes, but very soon, if you read the newspapers, not many people are present at a newsworthy event, so they have no comparison between what it says in the papers and, yeah. and being somewhere. Yeah. And so, with the Daily Mail, the Daily Express, the Sun, the News of the World, the Daily Telegraph, oh, with all the rest of them, like... Um, you can be at an event, read what you see and, and look at a picture in the paper and think, bloody hell, that's not much of a representation of where I mm -hmm. actually am myself. So not only the evidential photography was important to me, but then looking into representation. Yeah. And that's why when it comes to whether I was doing black and white work, which was the vast volume of my work, or, or showing colour slides at a slideshow with a multi-projection do, the people aren't so frightened of the imagery because they realise the representation was closer to their own feeling of things and that's, okay. that's, and that's a, a different, really important... it's a different route whereas a press yeah. photographer comes along, photographs you from over the hedge mm -hmm. or does this, that and the other and then sets things up and then runs away. Whereas somebody coming from the background to try and learn the dark arts and crafts of the media in one way or another and to use them in a, what I like to think of as a proper form yeah. to then better represent people that are in the work, you know. So that's, uh, that's the origins of it, really. Something that I, I hadn't actually heard of until I uh, met you, Tash, um, and a moment where things perhaps changed a little bit. Um, mm, did they? Not many, yeah. Um, Stonehenge 
is central to all of this and had been over that length of time that although I said I started out at Windsor Great Park it was only a couple of years later that the first gathering of folks occurred on the fields next to Stonehenge and they had done so every year for the following 12 years and that takes it up to 1985. Now the thing about Stonehenge is that 6,500 years ago people started to build the thing and they did so for whatever uh, incongruous reason now. Yeah. None of us are ever going to find out right. what the hell it's for. But what I do know for absolutely certain is for 6,500 years, people are gathered on the plain to celebrate matters between themselves. And in the early 80s with the Thatcher government, we couldn't be doing that. It's, it's not allowed. And they invoked various policing operations to try and prevent it or to limit it mm -hmm. and um, the land is owned and managed by English Heritage and the National Trust for the benefit of the nation but it seems as though we trespass on something that has been a gathering spot for 6,500 years yeah. and that obviously is a, is, is a politics turning a bit right there isn't it don't you think and that there wasn't the law to deal with any of this at the time, other than they took the whole issue to the, to, to the High Court and got a civil injunction from a judge. And on the 1st of June 1985, people started to gather as usual for the event, and they were met by a large policing operation that was completely out of proportion to absolutely everything that we'd seen before and the legal authority the cloak that they put around that was the enforcement of a high court injunction yeah and they assembled five police forces with 1600 policemen and as it turned out from court cases later a number of members of the parachute regiment the army in police uniform oh wow and they attacked uh, a convoy of vehicles that was on the way to Stonehenge and uh, there was much blood and despondency. Now the police had got that unit together because they just spent the previous year and a half dealing with the consequences of the miners strike and having dealt with big strapping miners and people of large physique thinking that they needed to deal with them by the Roman lines that they, they eventually developed and then applying that to some mild-mannered hippie families um, was a complete rout, and it was a medi it was a pitch medieval battle in an English field that you wouldn't think that you'd seen. And those international journalists that managed to spot this from afar, the BBC were ordered off the field and went as an incidental. Yeah. Um, people were quite hor horrified by the way that policing had developed in this country and that there was the biggest single arrest since the Second War of 582 people, I think. There's pictures of me bandaging heads and being on the end of a, a stretcher taking injured people who have been truncheoned over the head. Mm -hmm. And you're supposed to do the upper arm or the shin or something to, 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 to take them mm -hmm. down if they're being obstreperous like, but by whacking people around the side of the head and then wondering whether they're going to live or die, um, shows the severity of the operation so with the ambulance service Wiltshire ambulance service that was also there we managed to get a few across police lines urgently to get some medical assistance because we were genuinely concerned that a couple of might have died out of out of that policing operation um, so um, basically the object wasn't wasn't just to uphold a high court injunction 
it was to bash the vehicles around such that when it rained uh, the, the windows hadn't been repaired and you try to make life as uncomfortable as possible yeah. as you can and of course to teach the buggers a lesson so they don't keep fucking about with us is, is basically what was going on not an ordinary common or garden policing operation immediately after the bean field a, a government in uh, uh, the, the government looked into the fact that they had to deal with this by a high court injunction and they uh, they passed the first criminal trespass notions and uh, rights of protest and speech and so on in, in, in a thing called the Public Order Act yeah. 1986. Yeah. The Public Order Act section 39 states now that if three people bring with them 12 vehicles on a piece of land for the common purpose of residing there, then they commit an offence if, if they don't move when told to. Well, that obviously means exactly what it says that they can't reside on land in which case you haven't got the act together that I was previously describing as an alternative and so consequently um, uh, traditional gypsies found uh, found that that applied to them as well as these new age types and so the only way that you can properly exist at the time before the squatting was still legal at the point so that you might go back to the city and squat again or you might like to join the council housing waiting list. And so it rubbed out an entire lifestyle that goes back to before Elizabethan times yeah. in their rights to be on common land and generally travel and repass the highway. Yeah. And the idea that, again, the Tory government thought, well, we can't have this sort of thing going on, so they write law in that sort of way, has had major, major... Um, uh, effect on the on the circuit on the free festivals and on all non-commercial events mm. since then and uh, the proud group of people that i associated with and thought that they had something to say for the future were starting to be reduced to a refugee column um, that's when i personally decided that i needed to stop doing what i was doing uh, and came to nottingham and tried to get a better education in my uh, in my photography but at the same time, I might say, uh, having described what the, the Public Order Act says, that if three people bring with them 12 vehicles on a piece of land for the common purpose of residing there, um, my skit on it is what if they don't reside there? What if they stay up all night and make a racket? <laughs> and um, I, I say, although there's others that disagree with me, um, that that's some of the beginning thoughts of the free party scene here. And I started to think there's a bit more optimism in this group than what I've just left. But there's so much con there's so much cross correlation between the two. Yeah. Either some of the folks that same formed the same opinion that I did that we needed to be more optimistic, yeah. or their uh, or, or their or their family and offspring thinking we needed to do do this in a different mm -hmm. direction and. Yeah. Um, and uh, go there, give it one, and go away again, rather than residing oh, there, yeah. appeared to be the, the order of the day, you know. I'm not an expert on, on the music of these times. I know what I like when I hear it, but I haven't got the notion of the labels. But I do know that what I've told you about the gathering in fields and listening to, um, to uh, a variety of, uh, of electronic dance music sounds, because the notion of uh, trying to fit all of what you would have in a festival for a week or two you're trying to do in 14 hours or something okay. and so the whole thing uh, turns over at a lot bigger pace 
locally speaking in Nottingham that some folks from the traveller scene crossed over with some of the folks coming out of the club scene listening to such things and uh, one of the local entities in Nottingham uh, was DIY yeah. and um, with um, with their, uh, from Nottingham and going out into rural parts of the Peak District and so on where you could make a bit of a racket without annoying too many sheep um, struck me as a good idea like you know mm -hmm. and that we were doing uh, a number of those from successive weekends uh, but these things over the following what 88 to 92 were starting to build up to bigger events and in May uh, the, the, the festival circuit that I've described included Ingleston Common which was down on the outskirts of Bristol uh, and near the Wiltshire border. And um, years later, it turned out that people still wanted to keep that circuit, and that's why a large number of people had coagulated in 1992 around okay. the Avon district there. And so when somebody took a common, and it turned out to be Castle Morton Common at, yeah. the, base of the, uh, at the base of the Malvern Hills there, that people were able to establish the site there within within a couple of hours from the thousands of people that were already in the neighbourhood. And um, rather than just a weekend bash where you're listening to electronic dance music, this turned into a festival of significant proportions mm -hmm. with all the usual suspects plus the next generation. Castle Morton had lasted six or seven days, I think, in total. Okay. And so you've got a new generation of people that don't know about the comfort in the open air mm -hmm. because their city kids come out to have it large for the weekend, but as it turned out, they could stay a bit longer. And so all of the, the arts and crafts on making it comfortable really um, weren't happening. As I say, I mean, the mess in the hedge was considerable and so on. And this, this, yeah. this is an embarrassment to some of us older hippies to think, well, this should not be. But yeah. how, how is another generation that isn't inducted into the arts and, 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 and given advice and help mm. on how you do these things? Yeah. And so people have to make it up for the first principle and did it for themselves. And they didn't do it very well for that length of time. And that that together with um, uh, the politics of the situation again led to another shed load of law. If 20 people gather in the open air listening uh, and they get they gather to li listen to music that is characterized by a succession of repetitive beats <laughs> yeah, that's the best and they thing. don't move when told to do so by a constable yeah. in uniform then they, they can be liable to arrest. I've told you about the, the DIY sound system and they were having, uh, together with Smokescreen from Sheffield, Pulse from Derby and um, a few others in the locality, were um, having parties in, 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 in fields around and about, and most notable the quarry parties in, um, in the Peak District. I've just told you about individual labels of sound systems and because of the onset of the Criminal Justice and Public Order Act, I mean I and a few others could see this coming and we were suggesting that people that they, they got together uh, and uh, did uh, benefit gigs and generally tried to ent entertain and inform their own uh, clientele and that locally became all systems. Those gigs that we did, like the, the Marcus Garvey Centre and, uh, and a few other locally, managed to get quite a few thousand in the door and uh, raise money. And we got, uh, because of the risk of what I've just been explaining, of taking a sound system out and having it confiscated, people didn't want to 
uh, so make their 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 tackle available. And and so um, it was thought that uh, the, the notion of raising money for what became known as the kamikaze rig was a, a good way of getting out mm. of this. Like you know, so uh, the police come over the hill, want to steal all your bits, but if the valuable parts of it were were removable in the boot of a small motor car, leaving the boxes present and can be constructed otherwise was thought a good idea at the time. Um, but of course um, uh, it grew as a notion and uh, uh, eventually became an, an idol of resistance to some extent, yeah. I think you'll agree. Yeah. yeah. We're going to kind of like bring things completely up to date really. What have you been up to for the last 20 years? Uh, photographing policing operations on the whole. There's a number of uh, issues of concern that are occurring in the street. Um, after the, the squashing of, uh, of the free party scene, apart from those that are still going on, uh, Reclaim the Streets happened, where people don't have to deal with the, real, the rural roadblock, but can just surface by going out of a tube station in London when they don't know where you're going, yeah. and suddenly present themselves in a high street, or as it turned out, the M31 41 motorway in Shepherd's Bush, and listen to music that is characterised by a succession of repetitive beats with their mates in the middle of the road. And while they're doing that, they're being environmentalists, in my view, because they're drawing attention to uh, the problems of car culture and consumption and a number of other things like you know so it's getting a bit political and again uh, policing operations to deal with that has been of significant interest to me and parallel to all of that is the surveillance operations that the police have been operating on both to they say gather evidence of wrongdoing but is more probably to deal with political dissent and also to scare the bejabers out of anybody wanting to attend such events in case they get photographed and ended up on the database as somebody to be watched. And it has resulted in me being photographed several thousand times, and I, have, I can prove this because I have several thousand photographs of them photographing me. Recent transmogrification of all of this is the Extinction Rebellion people, which are the latest chapter in... Um, from uh, environmental direct action with power stations and airports, yeah. reclaim the streets, and now you have people uh, trying to be a bit more proactive in blocking roads and being a bit of a thorn in the side of parliament and so on by, uh, again, a, a modern form of direct action. I'm more than a little concerned on what's coming down the pike. We're, we're recording this just before the general election. And I'm telling you, if the Tories get in, Priti Patel, the current Home Secretary, wished to build on the Public Order Act and the Criminal Justice and Public Order Act that we've already discussed in this. And if she does so, then a, uh, the, the, rights of, uh, the, the rights of free speech and gathering and the notion of aggravated and um, unlawful trespass out, uh, are, are going to be strengthened. And um, uh, obviously protests will continue about a range of subjects, including environmental and political matters, but the consequences for that behaviour are likely to be more stringent as we go along. And so I don't have much optimistic um, observations to make about the progress of these things, rather than to say, mind out, they do mean you as well. Um, I'm encouraged to know that there's still people interested in some of the dark arts and, and, and abilities that I, I try to espouse. 
and that it's not all uh, taking photographs of, uh, of fashion, your mates, cats and food, which is what most photography seems to be these yeah. days, and that actually it is possible to, um, to highlight matters of social concern, and documentary photography is still um, an important facet both in my life and, and in the world at large, mm. and that really those matters of concern that you have for your own lives can sometimes find that the dark arts of learning photography and its representation might be of use to you. And um, I'm uh, available at the university to have little seminars here and there for those that are interested. So you like to pass it on, don't you? Yeah, fantastic. And that's certainly something um, you've done through your exhibitions and through this conversation today. Mm. So, uh, yeah, thank you very much. The podcast that you just listened to was actually recorded in December 2019 from the back of Tasha's exhibition in the carousel. If you weren't there to see that, we are actually, me and Tash, working on a publication about the Battle of the Beanfield and the police violence that the uh, counterculture and traveller community encountered in 1985. That's actually going to be released next month in September 2020 through my print company Dizzy Inc. So please keep your eyes open for that and look out for the publication. You have been listening to The Carousel Tapes, which is produced and directed by Benjamin Kay. This podcast has been supported by Real Creative Futures Digital, a free business support program for creatives, offering business coaching, training, networking and showcasing opportunities. RCFD is part of the Big House program, a tailored support program for the creative and digital industries sector in Nottinghamshire and Derbyshire partly funded through the European Regional Development Fund. The team is based at New Art Exchange, an award-winning and internationally renowned art gallery and performance space in Heysen Green, Nottingham. Thanks for tuning in and listen again next time.